You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Alright, so we're actually on our last installment of our two-part installment called If You Know, You Know. I understand that this line is quite not familiar to some of us, right? If you know, you know, it's So last week we understood that each and every one of us has a responsibility. Our responsibility is to teach the next generation who God is and what He is like. That's basically what we talked about last week. So that installment last week was not just for the parents in the house, it is also for those who are young professionals as well. Right? But guess what? There's always somebody younger than you in your office, a student who's looking up to you. Someone, a younger sibling, a younger cousin. Or what if, Mark, next generation. But guess what again, bro? There's always a next generation after you. Someone who is younger than you that can look up to you. We looked at the first eight verses of Psalm 78. Now, we will look at the rest of the chapter. And try to make sense what Asaph, the author of the Psalm 78, what he was trying to let his people understand. And hopefully, we too might understand and apply in our lives. Amen? I'll be starting from verse 9. So, quite lengthy. Please turn your Bibles there if you want to keep up. We'll be reading from verses 9 up until 72. Right? I'll give you time to bring out your Bibles, your phones. It says here, The Ephraimites armed with a bow turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep the Lord's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders He had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, he divided the sea and let them pass through it and made waters stand like the heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused water flow down like rivers. Verse 17, Yet they sinned still the more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food that they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so the water gushed out and streams overflowed. But can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, He was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because... They did not believe in God and did not trust in His saving power. Yet He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels and He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. By His power He led up the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged beasts like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they all ate, were well filled. For he gave them what they craved, but, verse 30, before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouth, the anger of the Lord rose against them, and he killed them, the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. Verse 32, in spite of all of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, the years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was the rock, the most high, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. 
Yet, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, and did not destroy them, he restrained his anger often, and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were all but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled him against him in the wilderness, and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again, and provoked the Holy One of Israel. He did not remember his power, or the day he has redeemed them from the foe. He performed his signs in Egypt, and his marvelous in the fields of Zoan. He turned the rivers to blood, so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them the swarms of flies, which devoured them, frogs, which destroyed them. They gave their crops to the destroying locusts, the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail, their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail, and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them the burning anger and wrath, indignation, and the distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path over his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. They struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of his strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like a sheep, guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And brought them to this holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them and appointed them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Verse 56, yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously. With their fathers, they twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh and the tent where he dwelt among mankind. He delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of, his, of the foe. He gave the people over to the sword. He vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men. Their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword. The widows made no lamentations. The Lord awoke us from asleep like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to the everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to the shepherd Jacob, his people. Israel, his inheritance, with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Quite a lengthy verse, no? <laughs> lengthy chapter, in fact, but probably the longest one I've read in this pulpit ever since I started preaching. And we'll try to cover as much as possible. So if you remember from last week's preaching, you know, Verses 1 to 8 actually gives us an overview or an introduction to what we just read. Also, the rest of Psalm 78, it actually conditions us to hear the wondrous works of God, which is on Psalm 78 verse 4. It says there, To tell the coming congregation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. That's so the entire point of the first introduction. Now we are in the meat of the text. So after giving that introduction, the psalmist recounts the faithfulness of God in the lives of the Israelites. In short, he gave a summary to go to the end of Numbers. 
So a summary in one chapter. So I've here a cheat sheet for that. The faithfulness of God over their lives. We have the parting of the Red Sea, verses 13-53. Pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Water gushing from the rocks, matter from heaven. The meat from heaven, the ten plagues in Egypt, and the victories while they were in the promised land. So mga major highlights nila. While they were in the wilderness, while they were you know, following the Lord at this time. So mga highlights nila dere. So for those who don't know, the box if you know, you know. For those who don't know, para sa let's give a brief history plani. Can you give me time to do that? So let's go back to Genesis 1. God, it's a Let's go to Abraham. Let's go to Abraham. Abraham. So God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham had one son, Isaac. And Isaac had twins, see? Esau and Jacob. Yes, all right, very good, all right? So it's Esau and Jacob. So Jacob wrestled with God. God blessed him and he named him Israel. So Israel had 12 sons. Munisha, 12 tribes of. Very good. So one of which is Joseph. So if you read Genesis, my book can be Joseph. Joseph was sold to slavery by his brothers. By God's providence, he went from slave to second in command in Egypt, saving a multitude of people from famine because the Lord showed him a vision. His family stayed in Egypt after, you know, doing all of those great works. And Fox scholars would say for 400 years, the Israelites stayed there in Egypt. For 400 years, now a new king arose in Egypt. Says here in Exodus chapter 1, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Who did not know Joseph, in short, he did not know the Lord, his wondrous works that he has done. Verse 10, he said to the people, Behold, the Israelites are too many, the Israel are too many, and too mighty for us. So this is what the Egyptians did. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they might join the enemies and fight against us and escape the land. So what did they do? Verse 13, so they ruthlessly made people of Israel work as slaves. Made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So from being one of the leaders of Egypt, now they've become what? Slaves, oppressed. They receive injustice and exploitation by the Egyptians. So what does God do here? Come on now. God sends who? A prophet called... Named who? Moses. God sends Moses. He raises up Moses. God displays his power with the ten plagues. Pharaoh lets his people go. God guided the people with a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. Egypt tries to deal surely with them. They tried catching the Israelites one more time, but of course God saved them. He parted the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea, but he's consumed their adversaries. So now... Here's what we're going to focus on. Now God finally saved the Israelites. He finally saved the Israelites from the enemies. Now, what is the first thing the Israelite does? Come on now. Pray worship, right? After Mount Sinai, they go to worship. What's the first thing they did against the Lord? They were hungry. They were thirsty. What did they say? They grumbled against God. After God saving them from Egypt, from their oppressors, from those who exploited them, who dealt them as were like slaves, they grumbled against the Lord for saving them from Egypt. Let me read you Exodus 16. It says here, On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, so after they departed from the land of Egypt, it says here, the whole congregation of people 
of Israel grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and ultimately they grumbled against the Lord. And what did they say? Would that we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt? May but it took and they meat pots, they put bread to the full busuk pata. For you brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly with hunger. After God saving them, their first response was grumbling, church. Let's go back to Psalm 78. Let's go back to verse 17 and 20. It says there, Yet they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High. In the desert, they tested God in their heart, demanding the food that they, come on now, craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rocks so the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? You know what, church? It's no sin to be hungry or thirsty, right? It's not a sin to be hungry or thirsty. In fact, it's a necessary thing for each of us to feel. The Lord himself designed us that way, to be hungry, to be thirsty. There's nothing living that does not desire or require food, right? If you're alive, you desire food, you require food. So why does God count this against them? Number one, they were dissatisfied with what God provided. Gutom kayo, bread. Lord, gutom. Nay bread. Wala pa ng bread, Lord. Some give na lang, Lord. Kaya mas for a while. Gatravel sila. So what were they expecting? Magtanom sila while gatravel? Di ba? Magdakaw sila, magdalagbaka? Di ba? Para ako, ihaw to corn beef dahil with egg. Let's go. In fact, grace na kanya ng Lord, that's really food to eat even while wandering in the desert. Nakaon sila for 40 years wandering in the desert. No permanent place, no place to wait for the right season to plant the crops, to have a proper penthouse for their flocks. They were traveling, yet the Lord provided every day. And yet they grumbled. You know what that tells me? Ungratefulness. I'm pretty sure all of us have heard someone say na we are forgetful people, diba? We are forgetful people, ang hugot last week. But there's truth to that. But at the same time, don't we cherish and treasure those important memories that we have? Your birthday, diba? You don't remind yourself of your birthday every week. Birthday na ko, Brad, kay September. Or your, let's say, sige surprise kasi mong friends, diba? You remember those times without really recalling them Consistently. Somebody gave you a very good gift. You always cherish that gift. You remember that. They complimented you for your hard work. You remember those things. What's my point? The problem of man, church, is not that we're just forgetful, we're also ungrateful. We're not just forgetful, we are ungrateful people. If you ask me, I'm pretty sure every Israelite know, knew what their history was. They had a very solid oral traditions of sharing stories. In fact, one of the laws, the Shema, is to always remind their children to love them with all their heart, soul, and mind, to write it on their hands, on their foreheads, on their doorposts, to remind them the things of the Lord. So it's not that they forgot then, they just simply didn't care. It's one thing to store it up here, church, it's another to cherish it in our hearts. It's one thing for us to understand that, man, yes, the Lord provides. It's a different thing to genuinely believe that. That, man, our God is a God who provides. 
It's one thing for us to understand, okay, sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christos. It's another thing for us to believe it. Man, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. One thing for us to know that Christ died for me. It's a whole different story if you believe it in our hearts. If we cherish it. The problem is that we're not just forgetful, we are ungrateful. They thought the reason why God didn't give them what they wanted was because he couldn't. He thought God couldn't provide. He thought God was not able to do it. It was beyond his power. And that angered the Lord. sila ten plagues. Did you forget, bro? Pillar of fire. I don't even know what it looks like. Tornado. Kalayo. Gisunod sa ilaha. Parting of the Red Sea. Kita sila ato. provides the Lord's wilderness. And I thought Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Psalm 78 verse 21 says here, Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. After hearing, they grumbled. He was full of wrath. Fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. Get this, why? Because, come on now, because they did not believe in God. They did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. Church, may our hearts be tender before the Lord. May not be like callous like the Pharaoh. Of course, we understand that God was able to provide all these things. We just read it, Kenina. God provided to them manna. God provided them with water, even with meat. Yet, despite their grumblings, despite their ungratefulness and hard-headedness, God remained gracious and merciful. Amen. In light of everything God has done, His saving hand, His protection, His forbearance for their hard-headedness, His mercy and grace, guess what? We have verse 32. A very, very sad verse. Says there, in spite of all of this, they still sinned. Despite all His wonders, they did not believe. Very, very sad verse indeed. So what does God do? He brings judgment. It says here in verse 33, So He made their days vanish like a breath, their years in terror. When He killed them, they sought Him. So He tried to judge them, but also, of course, not completely. He restrained His wrath. It says earlier, in the verse says, He restrained His wrath. They repented. They sought Him earnestly. So what was the response of the people? They repented, right? So after them sinning against God, so they sinned. God responded in faithfulness, in mercy. They responded again in sin. God brings judgment and of course with mercy as well. So the people repented. But did they really repent though? They repented and sought God earnestly. Verse 35, they remembered God was the rock, the most high, the redeemer. But guess what? They flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. What's my point? They were seeking God. They were not seeking God, but rather they were merely seeking a way out of the judgment from God. Let me say that again. They were not seeking God. They were merely seeking a way out of the judgment from God. Hypocrisy. I love a quote from John Trapp regarding this verse. He says it this way, As iron is very soft and malleable while in the fire, 
But soon after it returns to its former hardness, so many while afflicted seem to be very well affected. But afterwards, soon show what they really are. As metal becomes malleable in the heat, the moment they get out of the heat, they can become hard as steel again. Now, before you say na, ah, gay ag ulo ni mga Israelites, eh? Pali pong bugo ka, eh? Before you say that, I love you, alright? You're just as hard-headed as them. Ah, abin ako na pagbasa sa later sa verses na si David, so abin ako kita si David, bro. Di ba? A man after God's own heart, sure ka, ikaw? No, bro. Kita ang Israelites, we're the hard-headed people, the hard, ungrateful people, the hypocrites. But don't get me wrong, alright? We should strive to be like David, we should strive to be like Christ-like, but ultimately, that's not who we are. That's not us. We are not David, right? We are in need of a David. We are, in fact, we are in need of a greater David for that matter. How does God respond to the hypocrisy? How does God respond to their blatant hypocrisy? Chapter 78, verse 38. It says here, Yet, he being compassionate, atoned their iniquity. Did not destroy them. He strained his anger often. Did not stir up all his wrath. If you noticed, it's a pattern of, if you noticed, this is not just in this text actually. In fact, it's littered everywhere in scripture. God's faithfulness, man's sinfulness. So God is faithful, God redeemed them, God saved them. Man responds how? Rebelling against the Lord. God responds with what? With grace and mercy. Slow to anger. How do we respond? Sinfulness again. Then, after a while, God brings his judgment, but of course, he withholds it because he's merciful. Man obeys, hopefully, diba? Goes back to the first part. God's faithful, man sins. God is faithful, man sins. God judges, man repents. This is repeated multiple times. In fact, even in this chapter alone, I won't be able to show it to all of us. I don't have enough time for that. But this is a theme in this part. You know what's very interesting, no? When I was studying this last night, I really get to see the Father heart of God. You know what I mean? Very, very rebellious people, right? Very rebellious people, and yet, God, being our good shepherd, gives us a rod and staff. You know rod, right? A rod hits, okay? A rod actually is a sturdy wooden stick used for the shepherds to actually fend off predators, but also to <laughs> correct the sheep. At the same time, a rod, because what? It is a long and slender stick that the hook on its end so that it can grab the sheep. If it is straying from its path, the Lord hems him back in his sheepfold. If a sheep is caught in its thicket, the Lord pulls him back. We get to see this actually in that cycle of God being a father to us. But anyway, so this is a cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent in the people, right? God will now bring, after that cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, God does something new. Something different for that matter. Verse 65, God now acts. Very interesting. It says here, Then the Lord awoke us from sleep, like a strong man shouting of wine. Now, let me make this clear for a while. Scripture clearly tells us the Lord is at slumber or sleep. Psalm 121, verse 1 to 4, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, 
He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Perfectly clear. So what does it say here in verse 65? Now, the Lord awoke us from slumber. This is what we call a, I think if you know this, in your elementary, simile. Uh, figures of speech, do you know that? Remember that? Simile. So simile, um, a figure of speech in which, in which a writer compares two things using like or as. For example, he is as brave as a lion. Simile. He's not actually a lion, he's as brave as a lion. A tough as a nail, an innocent as a sheep. Simile. Here, simile here is God like a man awoking from slumber. Muna ang context ni. So it's like after that cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, God now, quote-unquote, wakes up from his slumber and now he does something different. God begins to move. What does he do? It says here, let's continue reading. Verse 66. He puts his adversaries to rout. He puts them to everlasting shame. He puts his enemies to rout. He puts his enemies into, or adversaries in everlasting shame. So it's very interesting. Now the psalmist shifts to something eternal. Guinea, pura about the Israelites here on earth. Temporal. Now, 66, the critic shift of what? Eternal. Everlasting shame. I'll get back to that later, right? Let's continue. What else does God do? Verse 67, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. 68, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, in which he loves. Now, here's the question. Why does God reject Joseph and Ephraim? And why does he choose Judah and Mount Zion? Why does he love Mount Zion? Essentially, Ephraim and Judah, same thing. Mount Zion and Judah, same place, same location. Let's go back to biblical history, right? Israel had 12 sons, part of which is Joseph, remember? Earlier, Joseph, right? 12 tribes, part of which si Joseph. For some reason, I don't know if I'm going to it. So 12 tribes, one of which is ang Levites. Levites, 12 tribes. God has ordained the Levites to serve him in his temple. So they would not have a territory for their own. Joshua 13, you can read that. So from the 12 tribes, minus one, so now Joseph... Israel gives a double portion to his family, to his tribe, which is children, see Ephraim and see Manasseh. So, 11 na lang, minus Joseph, gipuli ni Ephraim and Manasseh. So, na. so 11 minus 1, plus 2, 12 tribes, congrats. Muna siya. Nalingaw ka bihira, surprise ko na. Anyway, 12 tribes. So, fast forward. Fast forward to 12 tribes. Now, we have after the death of Moses, now Joshua rise up in leadership. Fought many battles in the promised land. Then they decided dividing the land into 12 tribes. Judah was allotted the area which encompassed Jerusalem, which is where Mount Zion is located. Are you catching so far? Now, Ephraim, on the other hand, grew also in power. So Ephraim. In fact, after Joshua, they established judges. It's a downward spiral afterwards. Just getting from bad to worse, among judges nila. Downward spiral of sin and corruption from bad to worse. Again, sin repent, sin repent, but also going down in a downward spiral. Now they ask someone to be their king, Saul. After Saul, we have David. After David, we had Solomon. Then Rehoboam. Now, interesting, Rehoboam. After Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel is split into two. They divide the chain into two, the northern and the southern tribe. 
I'm not just sharing this for FYI. Bear with me. And I guess split into two tribes, northern and southern tribes. So when a southern kingdom and comprised of what? Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribe, all other ten tribes. We're a northern tribe. In fact, Ephraim was the biggest. Now, if you do a study sa mga accounts of the kings, how they led, na usually mga ang Bible would describe either if good na siya na king or bad by three criteria, one of which is if they obeyed the Lord, if they got rid of idols, if they, if they did not worship child sacrifice, all those things. Yung mga criteria. Now, here's the thing. Northern tribe, Ephraim and the ten, guess how many were good? One? Ten? Eleven? Out of, 20, out, of, out of twenty kings, how many were good? You know what? None. Not a single one? Let's look at Judah, southern kingdom. They were around, also around twenty kings as well. You know how many were good? There were a few good. I was like one. There were a few good men, but guess what? Majority were still wicked. In fact, there were eight out of twenty. Eight were good. Majority were wicked. What's my point? What's the difference? So what's the difference between these two kingdoms? Both were complete failures. There was no difference. Both were complete failures. Hang on, man. Ang isa zero to twenty. Ang isa eight out of twenty. But guess what? They were perfect. Standard Lord. standard Lord. They still had wicked kings. They came from the same lineage. Essentially, they did the same things. So there is no difference between Judah and Ephraim. So why does God treat them differently? Why does Ephraim he rejected and Judah he chose? By the way, if you haven't connected the dots yet, the same question could be asked of us. What's the difference between us and the unbeliever? Same question applies. What's the difference between us and the people of the world? So let's go back to the question. What's the difference between Ephraim and Judah? You know what the difference is? The faithful word of God. The faithful word of God. What do I mean by that? If you go back to Israel's prophetic word of the Lord, it says here, Genesis 48 verse 10, faithful word of God. It says here, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In fact, if you move forward to the covenant with God's covenant with David, which in fact David is from the line of Judah, God gave them what? The covenant of David, the Davidic covenant. Remember this? If you don't forget, I have it here. First Chronicles 17, the Davidic covenant. When your days are filled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. One of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. I will establish his throne forever. I will beat him a father, shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house, in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. So why does God reject Ephraim and chose Judah? Because of the word of God, his covenant. In the same way, church, the only reason why God chose us is because of His Word. Because of Christ. 
The only reason why God chose one over the other is because of His covenant promise that He graciously gave us. That's the only difference. Both of them didn't deserve to be chosen. Wicked sila both. Yet God chose one because of His covenant. See, seven, He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He rejected. He did not choose. He chose. He loves. He built. He has found it forever. He chose. So my point here, God in His divine sovereignty chose you and I. What a privilege it is, church. What a privilege it is, church. Apart from His grace, you wouldn't be here right now. Out there doing all sorts of crazy things, destroying yourself, apart from His grace, we wouldn't be even alive today. The very fact that our hearts beat because it drums to the sound of God's mercy and grace. What a privilege it is, church, to be found in the Lord. And yet we respond with ungratefulness, with contempt. Verse 68, but he chose the tribe of Judah with Mount Zion in which he loves. Mount Zion, so why does he love Mount Zion? What's in Mount Zion? Mount Zion, if you read Psalm 87, Psalm 132, Mount Zion is the city of God. Some scripture would describe Mount Zion, the city of God. The Lord says here on, on Psalm 132, the Lord desired it to be his dwelling place. Mount Zion. It is where the glory of the Lord presides in the earth. Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion being in Jerusalem in the territory of Judah, probably the reason why God loved Judah was because His presence was at the center of them. God rejected Ephraim because His presence wasn't there. If you put verse 66 and 69 together, look at that. Everlasting shame for His enemies. 69, Mount Zion, glory in the Lord, Forever what? Everlasting glory as well. So adversaries niya, everlasting shame. His people, everlasting glory. Like I said, probably God loved Judah was because His presence was at the center of them, the midst of them. When He hated Ephraim, His presence was not there. My question to everyone today is, is God's glory residing in you? Are you living for the glory of God? For His adversaries, everlasting shame. For His people, everlasting glory. Let's continue reading. Verse 70. He chose David. Everybody say David. David, so from the tribes of Ephraim and Judah, now we zero in to one man, David. I know I just said that, ultimately, we're not David, 
But nevertheless, there are truths that we can apply in our lives. What am I trying to say? See, David says there, he started as what? As a shepherd boy. If you understand his character studies, background. A shepherd boy, see David, he was unassuming and lowly. But says there, God took him from nursing ewes and brought him to shepherding people. In fact, this is one of the many themes of the Bible church. God using the outcast, the rejected, to bring about His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world that even things that are not to bring things that are so that no human being may what? None may boast in the presence of God. So that none may boast in His presence. If you're here today, you feel like outcast mo sa mga peers. I can't speak very well. Not a good warrior like Silang not a good fill in the blank. Guess what? You're in good hands. You're in good company, my friends. Scores of people in scripture uses humble and meek men to change the world. Remember Joseph? Slave. Moses spoke with a st- 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 stutter. David wasn't even invited. Pag-abot ni Samuel to announce a king. Kalimto, sinumpapa niya. Yet God chose this man to bring about His glory. And I often wondered, why does God do this? It is because when they do bring about great things, when this lowly man, when they do really bring about great things, no one else will get the glory except God. No one else will get the glory except the Lord. Verse 72. Let's continue. I like the word upright and skillful hand. Verse 72. Upright heart and skillful hand. Understand David, no? He was known as a man after God's own. But we understand, young life, did it perfect, right? He sinned with Bathsheba, committed murder. Tried to cover it up. He lied about it. So David was, in a sense, mostly upright or mostly man with integrity. Is David? David guided Israel with great skill. It says there. But guess what? A greater David has come. A greater David has come. Remember, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, and his throne shall be established forever. Guess what? From the line of David, we have who? Come on now, we have Jesus. Jesus points back to the Lord. See, David, mostly upright, skillful hand, he led the people, but guess what? The Lord, Jesus' heart is perfect in integrity. Jesus guides people with perfect skill. Jesus is the greater David, the one we can look forward to, or rather, what they could look forward to, what we could look back on. 
He is the one who will save us. He accomplished that on the cross. The true Messianic King, this is how God moves. This is how God saves. Why this way? Come and story the Lord. Sovereignty. I was reflecting upon the accounts of Israel, manna, bread, and can't just help but point back to the Lord. Manna in the wilderness, guess what? Jesus is the bread of life. The water in the rock, Jesus is the living water. A tenth plague, the one that they had to put the blood over the doorposts, else the angel of death will take the firstborn. Guess what? The blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, cover us, will pass over us. The pillar of fire, Jesus is the light of the world, the parting of the Red Sea, which when they passed through it, it saved the Israelites. And Jesus is our door, when we pass through Him, also we'll be saved. Victories in the promised land, Jesus is the vine, without which we can do nothing. So what can we do in light of all of these things? Number one, we need to cultivate, cultivate a genuine gratefulness for God. If we may not be like the Israelites, whom God showed nonstop faithfulness, mercy, and grace, may we respond, church, with gratefulness and Lord and obedience. We need to cultivate this. This does not happen naturally for us. We need to understand as well that we are merely partakers of the grace of God. It's not something that we have earned. Again, why? What's the difference, God, in Judah or in Ephraim? The faithful word of God is covenant. In the same way for us, the grace of God is covenant with His people. Death on the cross. We are made recipients of this very same grace. Another application for us tonight, church, is we do not harden our hearts. Understand, no? Giniya, tong illustration. Faithfulness to the Lord, sin, faithfulness of man, faithfulness, mercy in God, sinfulness of man, and so on and so forth. It would be a terrible thing for us, church, if we presume on God's grace. We ought to walk with fear and trembling. That's why Romans 2 verse 4 tells us, Do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God? Not knowing His goodness or His God's kindness is what? It's meant to lead us to? Not hypocrisy like the Israelites did. But genuine repentance. When we do fail, not saying if, but when. When you do fail, our response, we run back to the Lord. We run back to the foot of the cross. That is where we get to receive the grace of the Lord. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.